and welcome to Chilenial Horrors, or as we may be renaming the podcast for this episode, the Carl Golner Fan Club. <laughs> Long-term listeners will already know full well that we're fans, but recently there was some discourse with a capital D on Twitter uh, <laughs> about, <laughs> about whether if you think that Carl Golner is a horror king, that means that you're like a, a freshly born, newborn lamb uh, who doesn't know anything about horror movies. So we've just doubled down on our appreciation, really, because um, mm-hmm. Carl Golner is a horror king. That's <laughs> <laughs> the question. And, uh, the question. <laughs> and uh, well, a lot of his horror movie work is kind of right at the end of our chilenial horrors period. Uh, we're going to we're going to do an episode about him anyway. Who's going to stop us? <laughs> no one. <laughs> Who would try? <laughs> um, I should also just clarify at this point that yes, technically a Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 should be included in this podcast, but I have already made Jonathan watch it like three times maybe <laughs> for um, other reasons and he really hates it and he's not going to come around. So I did not make him watch it again. Um <laughs> But we did watch like everything else that Carl Garner was in in the 2000s and sort of two, 2010s a bit. Uh, so, yeah, let's get stuck in. Yeah. <laughs> how, are you feeling, how are you feeling about Carl Garner now that you've had this enforced period of watching his films? A lot more positive, actually. Yeah. I think I, I never really appreciated Carl Garner that much until... Started hanging out with you more, I think, and then you and, you and uh, CJ are big Cargolna fans, and yeah, it's rewatching a lot of these. I'm like, oh yeah, he's great, isn't he? He's like in all these great things, uh, and always fun. Yeah. He's, he's he's always he's always doing something a bit interesting. Yeah, so very positive. I feel very positive about Cargolna now. Good. I'm glad that we haven't actually like squashed that burgeoning affection. <laughs> no. Also, yeah, there's definitely like his vibe feels nostalgic now, especially like yeah. his his late noughties vibe, which we'll get into. I the, think so. The evolution of the the Golner vibe. Yes. There's um I don't know. There's a thing that that CJ and I tend to do, which is that when we watch a film with. Maybe like, like watch maybe like two films with an actor in that we like. We then decide that obviously this person must have like immaculate taste in scripts and would never steer us wrong. So then we have to watch every <laughs> film that they've ever been in, and it like never works out. Like we did this with Wes Bentley, and that mm-hmm. took us to some dark places. Uh, <laughs> we did it with like Nicolas Cage. We did yeah. So Carl Golan has been another kind of one of those. Um, but I think probably he's been the one that's actually been fine <laughs> like actually hasn't taken me to that many dark places so thanks Carl um <laughs> so <laughs> addressing this podcast directly to Carl <laughs> gonna put it on a tape and send it to him like a little yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a like put it on like um one of those little dictaphone tapes with a dictaphone and a, a label that says play me <laughs> He wakes up in a darkened room. <laughs> you were horrifying with it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll send it to him, like a little mixtape. <laughs> oh, that would be sweet, yeah. I, I just went to Saw. That's where I went. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, uh, The Haunting in Connecticut's our first one from 2009, directed by Peter Cornwall and based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not... It's fucking lies. <laughs> it's um, it's ba- <laughs> the case that it's based on is one that the Warrens actually got involved with. So technically, this 
could sit within the Conjuring verse, except in the film they just didn't put the Warrens in, which was a choice, probably a good one. Um, so, like, basically they got a... There was there was a family who were, you know, in peril, called in the Warrens. The Warrens got this guy who writes horror novels and called him in to write the story. And then they were basically like, I'll just make it up. <laughs> so he turned up expecting to write, like, a true crime type thing and just got told... Uh, well, you write horror books. Why don't you write a horror book about this? Um, so, yeah, so, like, it's based on, like, fuck all. Um, but they do try to pretend that this film is based on a true story. There's even that sort of the, the framing at the start where Virginia Madsen's <laughs> talking to, like, an interviewer. And yeah. She's, like, talking about, oh, like, yeah, how bad it was. <laughs> nah. I, mean, I, think they, I think they basically gave this guy, like, no access. I think he had, like, the bare bones of the story. But I don't know how similar, also, this film is to his book, so... No. Like, like, there's layers upon layers of this has no grounding in reality, <laughs> apart from, like, there's a house, <laughs> I think. That's about it. Um, but, yes, so, the plot. Kyle Golner plays Matt, who is a teenage boy who has cancer. We're introduced to him being driven home from the hospital with his mom, who's Virginia Madsen, uh, who's constantly having to, like, pull over so he can throw up, and it takes him, like, eight hours or something to drive home. And they decide this is untenable, so they're going to rent a house closer to the hospital so that he can be treated and that will be easier on everyone which is quite a good idea uh but she inexplicably rents like the very first house that she sees from a guy who says oh, rent it now without any questions and i'll give you the first month free mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like that doesn't seem suspicious at all i'll take it <laughs> um and it turns out that it was a former mortuary and it's extremely haunted I I think I enjoyed this film more this time than last time. I, like, I watched it once before, and that was when I had to write a review of the not at all connected sequel, and I thought they might be connected for some reason. So I was like, oh, better watch the first one before I watch the second one. And um, I was like, well, that's really generic and a bit rubbish. But I quite enjoyed it this time round. So, <laughs> so that was a plus. I think uh, I thought about watching it when I was... Uh, when I had to write something about the unconnected sequel, Haunting, <laughs> Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia, which is such a brilliantly long title. But I didn't, because I was reassured that it was completely unconnected. And I wasn't quite... I don't know what why I wouldn't have watched it, though, because it was, used to yeah. be even more kind of anal about making sure that... I think I, it, wasn't on, it wasn't available to rent yet or something, and it was maybe... Or maybe I just missed it and read the Wikipedia <laughs> article. It was like in a sudden interview or something. Anyway... Yeah. So I hadn't seen it, and this is, I think, the first film that we've covered on this podcast that I hadn't seen before. Um, Wild. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it weird that both of us missed it the first time round, though? Like, this came out in 2009. Like, why were we not watching this film? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I seem to remember everyone agreeing it wasn't very good and a bit generic. I, I don't feel like that's ever stopped me before. <laughs> no, me neither. Was there just a lot going on in 2009? Maybe. But yeah, I enjoyed the first half hour or so, and then it did get increasingly trudgy. It's, it's really long, isn't it? It's like nearly two hours. Yeah. But on the plus side, really good cast. Yeah, it's one of those horror films where everyone feels very overqualified to be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe that. It, it almost feels like too like too slick. Like when it started, I was like, "Is that Virginia Madsen? Like, what the hell is she? Like, what? What is this cast? Like, wild." Yeah, like Martin Donovan, I'm a huge fan of from mm. from the '90s, his '90s movies. 
Um, <laughs> Martin Donovan from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, how Hartley did. Yeah, love, I love Martin Donovan. And yeah, obviously, love Elias Katias. And like, I think that's, he, he kind of rescues this film for me, I think, because anytime he shows up in anything, like in a scene, it automatically gets a bit weirder. And I think it was mm. like, even though you know he's nice, there's always that little unreadable energy of like, of course, like Virginia yeah. Madsen would be upset if she came home and Elias Katias was doing like a weird <laughs> ritual. Doing stuff. Yeah. So he plays, he plays like a priest, I guess, uh, yeah. who Matt meets when he's in the hospital and they're just both chatting about being close to death and therefore like seeing ghosts and stuff. Mm. And I, I definitely had in my notes, like, I don't know if I trust this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely had that energy. And also, like, to some degree, you they probably shouldn't have trusted that guy because he made everything worse. He does, yes. Yeah, yeah. He's um, well-intentioned, but just, just stirs everything up, doesn't he? Let's yeah. It. It's just oh, everything takes so long. It all yeah. just drags through. And maybe it's a problem because we've seen so many Conjuring movies now. But like it all felt very familiar. That's true, actually. I just realised that. Yeah, I guess he's he is the stand-in for the Warrens here. Yeah. And the idea that they would have rocked up and made everything worse is is yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I I love a botched exorcism. It's like my favourite thing. So basically, he he shows up and they kind of go, okay, that we it, this place used to be a mortuary, but also um, the guy who ran it used to do seances with his son. Was it his son or his like adopted son or whatever? Who's like a medium, and he they like channel the ghosts through him, and his spirit is still here. And I guess he's like angry about this mistreatment or something. And he seems to be the one who's like possessing Matt. Like Matt kind of Matt slash Carl Garner like has these experiences and and sees all these things. And so the um, <laughs> friendly priest is like, "Hey, I can help. I'll I'll get rid of this ghost for you." And it turns out that that ghost was actually kind of trying to protect the family and holding back the spirits of the, like, 50 billion other nasty things that are in yeah. this house. So once they get rid of him, once they get rid of him, like, <laughs> everything, all hell breaks loose. Um, but I, I do love, like, yeah, him having to call and be like, um, so, you know, that exorcism I did, I think it was a bad idea and that you should run now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> don't I don't know, it's, it's, it's such a weird film in that like I think we've almost made it make sense but it's all when you're watching it there are bits in it where you're like the fuck like there's one point where they find like a box of of dried eyelids yes I mean that is the best bit <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's like an incredible horror image like this bo- like all these little eye- like oh god disgusting and, and like creatively disgusting mm. um, I've never seen that before uh, but you're like but why <laughs> Why does this exist? <laughs> yeah, it's so like it was kind of it's that would kind of wave the hand as like oh that medium business, like and he yeah. was like, <laughs> like oh they cut the eyelids off them so that they had t- t- couldn't close their eyes or something. Yeah, I think so. See forever, <laughs> and it will be seen to be on or something. And there's all that you know the writing on the corpses and stuff. But there's a yeah. few of those kind of cool images like like the box of eyelids and the bodies in the walls and stuff, where it feels a bit more. I don't know. I always like feel bad saying like not PG thirteen because it's such a lame way to <laughs> categorise like interesting horror because obviously PG thirteen can be plenty interesting, but like it's is where it sort of nudges into being a bit more shocking, I guess. Mm. But mm. 
there's an awful lot of really familiar safe stuff in it but then it's especially in that first half an hour I think with the cancer treatment and how it changes his behavior and stuff and like how there's the Mm. uncertainty about whether what he's seeing is real or not that all works quite nicely but it just it kind of settles into a groove of being a bit safe I think yeah do you know what I've just thought this film is very sort of Mike Flanagan-y, like Mike Flanagan Ouija 2 vibes, mm. because it has this like incredible, like really upsetting core, yet human core, like that this this kid is dying of cancer. Mm. And like, that's horrible. It's really upsetting. And like, I think Virginia Madsen sells that quite well. And there's a scene, there is a scene like quite late on where Matt has escaped from the hospital to go and mess with the ghosts. Um, and the doctors have to tell his parents like, like this experimental treatment that we were doing, the whole reason that you moved, it hasn't worked at all. And he is like dying. Like the guy's like, his numbers are so bad that he could drop dead at any second. And I think like the horror of that as parents and as Carl Golner lovers, like you're like, <laughs> that, that's just so like, that's heart wrenching just to be told that like, you know, you've gone through all this, all this pain and all this, um, you know, you really think you're doing the best for him and then they're, they're like, yeah, it turns out there's done fucking nothing and he's probably going to die. Mm. I thought that was really wrenching. And there's a also a great... <laughs> is it great? I don't know. I kind of love it, but I feel like I shouldn't. Um, where the father who has turned to alcohol because of this fucking terrible situation that they're in, like, comes home late and all the lights are on in the house because the family are scared of the ghosts. Uh, and he just gets really angry about like the electricity bill, I think, mm-hmm. and just starts smashing all the light bulbs so that they can't switch them on. And uh, for some reason, that really like shook me. I was like, oh god, like what a horrible like sequence of things. But like the horror of them of like you can't turn the light on now. And I don't know, something about that really got to me. It was just like, oh, yeah, nasty. That one's interesting because it's on the one hand like it's quite a cheap way to. Yeah. <laughs> Get all the lights out. But Martin Donovan does play it really well. I think he's... I find him a really interesting actor because he can be quite imposing and sinister without really doing very much. Because he's just got mm. the eyes and the kind of the voice. But yeah, it is. And it, it, that's one one of the points where I think everyone being a bit overqualified works very well. You don't really think about it being for horror purposes. It's And that moment mm. it is just, you know, dad's home and he's angry um, and, yeah. and drunk. And then they immediately Which is a different like, kind of horror. Yeah, just and then she immediately like, takes him outside and tells him off, and it's all fine. But I think that's this is like what I was, I was thinking about this earlier that it's extremely because it's it feels a bit Amityville as well. Oh yeah, a hundred percent yeah, and and a bit The Shining and a bit Every Haunted House Ever. Yeah, mm. but it's like specifically Warrens where it, mm. there was probably domestic and child abuse happening in the real version but it's ghosts in the film. <laughs> like, yeah. almost certainly. Yeah. Well, they said, like, you know, dad was a dad's a drunk and he's going better, but they don't go into, like, what he did when he was drunk. But, like, it's just like, yeah. okay, so maybe the true story is just actually quite depressing. Yes. that I guess that is kind of the problem with, yeah, like you say, all the Warren stuff is that, like, we know they're charlatans and there mm. are no real ghosts. However these were all families that were massively in crisis for one reason or another. Yeah. Likely money troubles, alcoholism, domestic abuse, like you say, like, f- yeah, we're really fucked up. <laughs> Just 
like, oh, let's make a fun horror franchise out of this, out of these people's very real suffering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, but that aside, uh, <laughs> Carl Gellner's really good in it. He is really good in it, and he is fully in his, uh, like, baby cherub um, phase here, because not only is he, like, yeah, a teenage boy who is, like, innocent. Uh, he's dying. He's ill. Yeah. He's very vulnerable. He's, like, it's it's really... he's He has a sadness in his face that works really well here. <laughs> he does, but he does the, the, the switch to threatening with... Because he mm. his kind of uh, siblings are scared of him. Or there's, like, one younger brother and then, like, a cousin, isn't it? It's... There's two, he's, mm-hmm. They're living with two cousins as well. Oh, yes, the um, girl from Final Destination 3. Yeah, in Silicon Valley. I love Amanda Crow, she's great. But the, he, he sells that really well, the switch to, like, actually, yeah, you can see why the younger, younger kids would be scared of him. Because mm-hmm. not only, like, you know, mm-hmm. is it weird when a family member's really ill and everyone's talking about them all the time, but then when he does get the sort of slightly possessed thing, like, he does the, the switch really nicely. Yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the unspoken theme of this episode. Speaking of Cargana. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, um, speaking of Cargana, that brings us to our next uh, film, which is Jennifer's Body, which uh, I kind of was like, should we even talk about Jennifer's Body? We talk about Jennifer's Body a lot, and it's kind of like, I don't know, like <laughs> the foregone conclusion, like, this is a great <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, we're focusing on Carl Garner here. So the plot of Jennifer's Body is Carl Garner plays Colin Gray, <laughs> who is a goth kid who is, you know, shunned by all the popular kids. But he has his own little group of, um, they call them the dead girls, who are like goth girls who are all madly in love with him. And he's all like deep and brooding and dark and writes poetry and sad stories and stuff. And um, But he, he obviously still, you know, is a teenage boy in high school. So he obviously still kind of craves the approval of the of the, the hot girls. Uh, <laughs> so after like making friends with uh, Needy, he plucks up the courage to ask Jennifer Check out on a date. Um, but that doesn't end well for him. <laughs> that is the entire plot of Jennifer's body in which nothing else happens. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, like it's a five to ten minute film. <laughs> five to short. ten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like on rewatch, I'm like, he is in surprisingly little of this film. Yeah, same, <laughs> in my head, much more. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's that, like. Like, oh, he pops up quite early and then doesn't pop up again for a little while. And then that's kind of it. <laughs> he kind of goes. Yeah. He but he fits so perfectly into this movie, doesn't he? Like he's... Yeah. yeah perfect. <laughs> that's the kind of the quote for this episode. He is perfect. Um, He's almost unrecognisable in this in a way. Like he looks so different. I was kind of surprised by how... I think maybe because I've got used to 2000 like 2020s Carl Garner like, like going back to this one I was like oh yeah he's he's got like different hair and <laughs> an eyeliner and stuff it looks different <laughs> I think this might be the first thing I remember seeing him in so in my head like emo Carl Garner like aggressively emo Carl Garner like made for co- slightly comedy purposes is often what I think of like the the hair and the lip ring and stuff and mm. Yeah, which is so it was weird watching Red State after this, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yes, like 
the thing that I think, because people think of Jennifer's body as being like a comedy horror. I think specifically watching it with Carl Golner in mind, like it's really sad. I've, I always think there's a, a real sadness to Jennifer's body that it achieves better than a lot of other kind of horror movies. And that like, I think you really feel it when she's killing people. I think like they make sure to show you characters' parents or friends like grieving for them. And I, I just think that really works for me. Like, you know, her murdering the, the jock in the woods but he's already like crying out there because of his best friend being dead. And like in the extended cut of Jennifer's body, the um, Colin Gray funeral goes on much longer. And yeah, just just his mum just being like... So at, at his funeral, all the kind of goth kids are being very dramatic um, and doing the like, oh, fly into the firmament, Colin, like you're with the angels now, you're the, the dark angels, whatever. Um, and his mum just like stands up and is like, fuck off. I am devastated and I don't care about your pain because this is my pain because my son is dead and okay. like you're irrelevant. And it's really like, oof. Oh, yeah, I've still not seen the extended version. Yeah, I think the sadness got me as well a lot more this time. I think with, like, when Needy sort of can't be around Chip anymore and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yes. And it's all, like, she's this, like, she doesn't let you forget that these are real people dying as well and that everyone kind of mm. moves on because they have to. Like, everyone mm. just kind of wants it to be fine, even though it's not. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried's yeah. so good in it. She is so good. Her face is like like a like shocked and upset reaction, and like any time Jennifer's just being awful, it's just like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, like the whole the whole uh, dance sequence when Needy is wearing this completely ridiculous like magenta prom dress <laughs> with her like big golden ringlets and very princessy. Uh, when she's and and she's kind of like standing in the dance looking for Jennifer and Chip, and has that like psychic link with Jennifer and realises like that they're not there and that there's a problem. Um and that like I love that shot of her running through the woods and her dress. Mm. Like for some reason it just really makes me happy that <laughs> that whole kind of like fairy tale bit where she's fighting her way into this abandoned building through like overgrown plants and vines and things. And it feels very like Sleeping Beauty almost. Like she has to she has to be the knight in shining armor, but she is the princess and and then she gets there too late. It's so heartbreaking. Like, that really oh, hits you in the heart when he's like, I think I was dead when you got here, but I woke up when I heard your voice. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this film. It really works for me. Like, um, the Welcome to Night Vale guys do a podcast where they watch horror movies. Like, one of them doesn't watch horror movies at all, so the other one's kind of introducing him to horror movies. And they did a Jennifer's Body episode where um, they basically were saying... From a 2022 perspective, like there's a lot of problematic things in this film. Um, there's some use of language that's a bit regrettable and stuff like that. Mm. And like, it didn't really hold up for them. Um, and while I agree that that maybe is a bit regrettable, like I just, it really still works for me. I think it's the, just the emotional punch of like being a teenage girl and having a terrible best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, and then and then I think because I've got the because I'm older now and I watch it and I'm just like oh god these kids are so young and like they had their whole lives ahead of them. <laughs> like, it really just gets me. Yeah, I agree. I think like that's definitely a part of watching it as like getting older is really appreciating the scenes of the parents. Like you mentioned, like mm. Amy Sedaris is 
uh, Needy's mum saying like, oh yeah, there's, yeah, I'm a mama bear, but like there's going to be a time where like you you call out for me and I'm not there, or, like I won't be able to help you. And Chip's mum yeah. like giving him the pepper spray and stuff. Yeah. Just sort of like, did you see? What did he hear? What they did to? Or did he, did he hear what he looked like? <laughs> yeah. Lasagna with teeth. You heard. The the one thing that I think is unfortunate about the extended cut is they oversell that line because at the funeral, uh, Colin Gray's mum says that he looks like lasagna with teeth. So you get that again. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I guess it's a good line. <laughs> Why not say it again? Um, yeah, but like, yeah, I can't. I don't think there are many, if any, other like horror films where you see this much of the parents like maybe the original Nightmare on Elm Street I think because you get a lot of Nancy's parents and I feel like someone else's parents like yeah you see some of uh, Glenn's parents don't you in Nightmare on Elm Street Mm, mm -hmm. because they get pissed they want Nancy to leave him alone yes yeah 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 Um, but like here you've got you've got Needy's parents and you've got Colin's parents and you've got Chip's parents and, and and Jennifer's mum shows up for a bit. Yeah, she does, yeah. And it's not for plot reasons either. Like Nightmare on Elm Street is, is because it's important to the story, whereas this is just to, I guess, sell the vibe, sell like they, they are like high school kids. And it's not like yeah. Scream where all the parents are away all the time. <laughs> like, <they> work, <laughs> Mysteriously not around, yeah. yeah. Like they're working late shifts, so they can't be there to look after them because... They're working a double. Mm. I love this film, and and I think yeah, I mean that there there are some bits where you sort of cringe uh, now, just like oh, I wish that line wasn't there. But I think overall, I still think it's great. It's just so good. <laughs> yeah, and the Ad- Adam Brody, um, oh, is it low, oh, low shoulder Nikolai? Yeah, all of that stuff is still absolutely spot on every line that that band has and how awful they are is still so fucking funny so good it's so good so do you know how hard it is to be an indie band right these days (laughs) we're all cute we're all cute yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh and like just oh everything about this but yes um uh like the fact that they almost reward you for having seen this film before in that like the scene at the beginning where she's where needy's in the hospital and um, like a Muzak version of Through the Trees plays yeah. through the speakers and she's like, God, I hate this song. <laughs> and like, obviously the first time you watch it, you've never heard that song before, but like, <laughs> later you're like, oh yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> it's on the Wikipedia. <laughs> it's like <laughs> my favourite line. <laughs> that girl is great value. She's in like two scenes. <laughs> I think there's a little joke that I really enjoyed this time as well, where J.K. Simmons, who plays there, like they're, Form room teacher is talking about who died in the fire, and it was uh, the beloved Spanish teacher, is it Senorita Erickson? <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. I think that fire as well, like, oh, it's horrible, yeah, yeah. And again, in the, the I mean, the extended cut is not that extended, it's literally like, like five minutes longer, I think, but there are just little, there's a couple of extra. Like, must be seconds in the fire scene, but it just feels so horrendous. And, like, just just watching that again, like, you, you see, like, Needy, like, spot that there's fire, but she doesn't really know what to do or, or like, what can you do in that mm. situation? There's just a room full of people, there's loud noise, uh, and suddenly it's chaos, and suddenly it's, like, life-threatening, and people are being trampled, and it's horrendous, and, like, all she can think of is, like, to get Jennifer out of danger, mm. like, to get herself and Jennifer out 
Uh, and unfortunately, she kind of walks them straight into danger because the band are lurking outside to get them. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just that, like, I think you really feel her helplessness, but at the same time, like, there's a hint of, like, okay, but she will fight for what's important to her. Like, yeah. she can't save everyone, but she's damn well going to save Jennifer in that moment. She's in the fiery trenches. She is in the fiery trenches. Oh, but yeah, I think I think Colin Gray is such a tragic character in this film because, like, I don't, he's just so cute and like so ironically innocent, even though he's all like, yeah, death. Yeah, I'm so deep. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's just needy. Like I'm glad you didn't die. <laughs> so um, but he's it's just oh, I mean, he's such an idiot because he drives out to this like completely abandoned street in the middle of town, okay? Um, <laughs> and, it, and it, like, breaks into this house where Jennifer's told him is, is her house. And he's like, it's not really a house, is it? And you're like, eh, no shit. <laughs> it's like derelict building. <laughs> yeah. He is extremely dumb. But that scene of him driving where he's singing along is so good. That's so good. Sunshine <laughs> day. Oh, it's adorable. Um, but I think... Actually, that was almost a segue that I kind of did without um, thinking about it, was that in this film, Colin Gray's fate is sealed because he goes to a very unlikely place in search of sex. Which brings us to Red State. That is a great segue. God damn. (laughs) If only I'd planned that, it would have been great. Um, (laughs) We are, here we go, like just leaping over a nightmare on Elm Street as if it was never there. Going from 2009 to 2011, uh, with nothing in between. So, Red State. I have never seen Red State before because I never wanted to because it looked terrible. (laughs) So, I watched this for you, Kyle. I hope you appreciate my sacrifice. Um, It's a bad film. Yeah, I saw this when it came out at the cinema uh, because I was was a huge Kevin Smith fan as a teenager and love love all those Jane Silent Bob comedies. And I've not revisited them, and I'm slightly afraid to, but in my head, they're still fine. (laughs) But I remember, I think I was, by this point in his career, I think he'd started to, he'd had a couple of flops, and there'd been a bit of a ruckus about Red State even before it came out, because it was like a, the way he was promoting it and self-distributing it, he'd upset some people by kind of saying that it was going to be an auction, and then then he, like, He's like, oh, it's not actually an auction. Like, I'm, I'm going to distribu- distribute it myself and stuff like that. So he'd already been quite, like, combative and dickish. So there was already a vibe around <laughs> it when it came out, I think, about kind of, oh, is Kevin Smith a bit of an arsehole? Which may be unfair, but I was still looking forward to it. And at the time, I remember thinking that the first half was good and the second half was bad. And I think it's a lot worse now on the rewatch <laughs> but I'm I still sorry. think oh, sorry the <laughs> I still think that the first half works better than the second half I don't know what, what did you think apart from it being bad yeah so I think the main problem I think that I have with this is that there is no protagonist and it sort of just switches in like other, other things are happening now um it, I, it, structurally it's just really confusing to me like so okay so let's try and do a plot but uh, with difficulty so Carl Golner is a high school boy who along with his friends just like really really wants to have sex because that's the only thing that ever motivates high school boys as we've learned and um so he 
goes on some kind of dating app and chats up some 38-year-old woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. I, that, can confirm, as a 38-year-old woman, teenage boys do not chat me up. <laughs> On apps or otherwise. Anyway, uh, so he he makes a date to have sex with this woman who does not show her face on the app, just a pair of fake breasts. And she... I, 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 this is so weird. So she, she apparently says she wants to have sex with all three of them at the same time. Um, which they kind of... It's <laughs> a really cute bit. And the only bit I liked is where one of them's like, wait, but... How would that work? I'm like, trying to figure out the logistics of how it would work. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. I can't, I don't really know how you three are going to think you're going to pull this off. Um, but apparently this is like super appealing to them. They're all going to go and have sex with this woman together. And then they get there and like, she's a completely, obviously a completely different woman and a very sort of like middle-aged looking 30. I was like, 38 really? <laughs> is that what 38 looks like? Shit. Um, and, and like gives them a beer and insists that they drink it and they're all like yeah like they're slightly suspicious but nowhere near suspicious nowhere enough near that they should be in this situation yeah. like it's just what the fuck is going on like why are you going along with this um, and then yeah it turns out that the beer is drugged because they've walked into a trap set by this like hate preacher that they have in the town who's has this like horrible church where they're constantly like that you're introduced to them because they're protesting the funeral of a, a gay man and it's just really fucking horrible it's obviously based on like the kind of fred phelps um mm. kind of character but like just all out fucking horrible mm. um but yeah mm. so it turns out that they have they have created this woman on the app as a trap because they want to trap gay men and somehow like that makes sense that because the boys were all willing to have sex with the woman at the same time that means they're gay so we should kill them the mm. sure um so Kyle and his mates end up being tied up and put in cages and preached at and they will be killed except I literally don't understand this, but anyway, John Goodman shows up as a, like, SWAT guy, and uh, they all, like, lay siege to the church, and there's lots of running around and shooting, and then it all just turns into, like, a comedy about how the US government uh, is really happy to shoot people. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I I don't... (laughs) Explain this film to me. (laughs) Why? Why is it like this? It's a weird one. So, like, the first half hour or so is horror mm-hmm. with like I think like you said like it's very like hostile catfish yeah kind of but dumb, dumb. yeah really <laughs> dumb and like you said like it doesn't really work because uh, it doesn't really work because they're, they're they seem bright enough the kids and and also like it's 2010 at this point so really should know better but then it turns into one of the hallmarks of Kevin Smith's horror phase, which is a big, long monologue delivered by Michael Parks, which is scary. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, by, like, clumsiness and accident, the police twig that something's up at the church and that they've got people inside. Oh, yeah, because of the car accident, isn't it? I forgot yeah. about that. And then I think it's because Nicholas, one of the kids escapes and, like, fires off a shot and then... All the police show up and John Goodman shows up with the ATF siege thing. So then the second half is like a siege business thing uh, where there's lots of commentary, like you said, lots of commentary about 
how awful American law enforcement and government is because they'll just shoot people because it looks better on their report and they don't have to explain anything. And then, yeah, like a five-minute comedy scene at the end with where the government people are like, because fuck these people. It's such a hot mess. Like, it's, I think it's one of those films where it seems like he had the idea for, you know, had the, the light bulb idea of, like, you know what's really scary? Bigotry. Like, religious bigotry. Yeah. And it's real. It's happening now. But then it's like, how do we get these kids? Because you need teenage kids for a horror movie. How do you get kids there? Because why would they be there? And it's like, ah, oh, catfishing, that's a thing. Mm. And then it's like, well, I've written it and I'm only half an hour into the film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In my notes, I'm like, we're like 20 minutes in and Carl's in a cage. What's happening? Yeah, Carl's already in a cage. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, it just becomes like a list of other things that he wants to say about the government, I guess. And it doesn't really work. Like, it's so messy. And yeah. there's, like, effective moments in it. Like, Michael Parks is just fucking scary. Like, mm-hmm. I think his monologue kind of works because he's so, so, so good. And obviously John Goodman's wonderful. And I really like the the, the casting of the kids, I think, is really... Uh, I, I really like the casting because it seems like it's Michael Angarano, Carl Golner, and Nicholas Braun who just like they all look like sweethearts and they all should have been like <laughs> I don't think Nicholas Braun actually was in Perks of Being a Wallflower but like they all seem like that kind of vibe <laughs> yeah yeah actually that is a really good point in that the characters that they're playing seem like they should be like I guess it doesn't. No, I guess it doesn't make sense. I was going to say they seem like they should be playing like brainless jocks, like sex is the only thing that matters. But I guess the point is, if they were those jocks, they would be having sex with like high school girls. Whether it's these guys are kind of losers. Yeah, like Nicholas Braun's got the mullet. Uh, Michael Angarano's got the shitty teenage beard, and <laughs> Carl Connor's just like sweaty and weird. Like he's just a bit of, obviously a dirtbag. But they all like love each other very much. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, their friendship is. I think. That's where it's sort of like you can tell Kevin Smith can write sort of people being horrible to each other because they love each other kind of jokes. Mm. But yeah, it's just, like you said, there's no protagonist. So like they all get, like half of them get it really quickly. And mm-hmm. but then it forgets about... And then there's about, just Carl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's just Carl. And the movie forgets about him for about half an hour in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then it, and then, but then, yeah. There's no resolution to that really, because they just get shot, don't they? And then, and then I guess John Goodman's the protagonist, but like, mm. what? And the the it, it, I just it's just a mess. Like, it, and like it's like I'm angry about lots of things, and I can't be bothered to be clear about it. <laughs> like everything is bad. This is bad. These are bad. These are, this is bad. This is bad. Like, okay. Tell me a story though, Kev. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like I guess like the the growth is with Carl Garner realizing that he can't just say fuck you to the the teenage girl of the, who's like the cult member who's looking after the kids, and that he does actually the the right thing to do is to help her and the children try and get out. Um, and then they're shot anyway, mm. and oh, how shocking! Like because uh, at that point we've already seen Michael Angarone get shot in the head, like by. Yeah. Stephen Root, who's like with well, a shitty local sheriff by accident. And it's like you've already made a point about how clumsy and mean the law enforcement dudes yeah. are. It's weird, like, there comes a, like, it seems like a thing that a lot of filmmakers want to do is make a horror movie about religious, like, cults and stuff. Like, this, it maybe reminded me of The Sacrament, the Ty West one, which is also 
decent first half, good scary monologue by religious leader, then it just goes to shit because you don't like. Obviously, everyone's going to die, and you can't end it another way, and it's really boring. The thing that I thought it was almost going to take a sort of interesting turn is when the religious guys are coming out of the church because they think they hear the trumpets of like the end times of like you know it, this is it now uh th- this is this is going to be the rapture this is going to be you know what we're going to be taken up to heaven and and uh, uh, yeah this will be like this is their end goal basically yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it turns out that that was like some kids at a weed farm or something and i don't know like i guess it would have not worked to have the religious nuts be kind of right in that like oh it really is like you know they are right because the end times were coming like that wouldn't have been a good a good conclusion but at the same time i was just like oh there's going to be something supernatural like i guess maybe you would have had the rapture come but those guys don't go because they're horrible (laughs) actually not righteous at all or something but like i just got excited because i thought for a second there was going to be like an apocalypse and then there wasn't (laughs) no and then there's like five minutes of explaining why that happened but yeah the moment where michael parks is coming out like all happy it's like ha ha like fuck you Mm. we're like it's really good but it's just all very disappointing it's very disappointing everything yeah and it's all there's like too many familiar faces in it and I, I was thinking as well like I understand why it's in Texas because obviously that's where Fred Phelps is and it is a real issue but I was like if you really want to talk about how bad this is then why not set it somewhere else I don't know it's just a bit obvious it's like fish mm. in a barrel it's just like you're not you're not saying anything interesting here really I I guess it's that feeling of uh <laughs> to use a, the religious metaphor like preaching mm. to the choir like no one who is super religious in Texas is going to watch this film and be like oh shit we are the yeah, bad yeah exactly that our filmmaker from New Jersey decided that we're awful like it's just going to be like people who already think that and then in that case like what is this film doing like what purpose is it serving I don't know I don't know um, none the only purpose it serves <laughs> <laughs> is that it, it, it gives Carl Garner a role where he is not just a sad faced uh, victim I guess because like Haunting in Connecticut yeah he's he's a you know sweet kid terrible things happen and then Jennifer's body he's a sweet goth kid terrible things happen <laughs> <laughs> and like Nightmare on Elm Street he's yeah, a sweet kid he's, terrible he's things lovely happen he's lovely Nightmare on Elm Street I know we, we're skipping past it and thank you for that but uh, <laughs> I do I do love him in it he's great <laughs> Big fan. Yeah. So this is the first time where he gets to play a character that you're like, oh, not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're you're a dumb kid, but you bit you're a bit gross. Yeah, he's a gross ringleader. Yeah. Mm. So then, uh, like, I guess we should just skip through the rest of his his filmography. But like, I don't know what you've seen and what you haven't, so we can kind of go through this. Um, <laughs> The Master Cleanse, or sometimes it seems to be The Cleanse, uh, he plays like another fratty guy who goes on this retreat and sort of slightly grows a beard yeah. by the end. <laughs> it's, it's a bit horrible. It's a bit of a dick. I, I like that film. I think I saw it at Fright Fest and it gave me the giggles and everyone around <laughs> me knew it because I was giggling. Like, I, I'm quite a loud, powerful giggler and it's, I think, quite an unexpected noise sometimes. So yeah, I, I, I like the master cleanse. I wasn't expecting the creatures. I was quite delighted by that. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't seen that one before, but I have now, so that was fun. Uh, then there's the cleansing hour, not related, <laughs> <laughs> just a lot, lot of cleansing, a lot of cleansing going on, where he plays the like tech guy slash assistant to a fraudulent exorcist, and he's like got a little beard. <laughs> Uh, but he's like, <laughs> so he's kind of doing a bad thing, but he's kind of a good guy. He's very sweet again. Yeah. Backsliding a bit <laughs> into like, you're mostly, mostly He's sort nice. of like the one he's got more of a, con- he seems like he has more of a conscience about what they're doing. Mm, yeah. And he's he's the lead in that, isn't he? Like I would say. A co- kind of, yeah. Co-lead slash yeah. lead. I like that yeah, film. Yeah, me too. I think it, I saw it when I was catching up on a bunch of Shadow movies that I'd heard were good. And I really enjoyed it. It was a really like, it wasn't my favourite of that batch that I watched, but it was a really pleasant mm. surprise. Cause I think I'd seen the the poster was like a woman tied to a chair or like to a table or something, and it's called like the cleansing hour. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh no, that's really bad marketing. But yeah, yeah. It's actually like yeah, a, a inventive fun exorcism thing where like they get like they've been faking it for too long, and the, finally a demon's like, no, fuck you guys, like. <laughs> I like it so much. I just, I don't know why that really delights me. But yeah, that they're, they're doing this whole live streaming social media thing. And he's like, become a celebrity because he's this cool exorcist. And then, yeah, then a demon shows up and is like, you did bad things. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a cool idea. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, and then Dinner in America, which isn't really a horror film, but... I just wanted to say Dinner in America is amazing. So, yeah. did you get a chance to watch I it? I did. I watched it yesterday. Yay. Really enjoyed it. Big fan. There's like, there's like, it's lovely. Jean Marie kind of nods and stuff. It's like, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little, and it, when it starts, like the very beginning, where he's just in this, like, um, so Carl Garner plays like a punk rock guy who is doing medical experiments in order to fund his punk rock lifestyle career. So he start, he starts off where he's like in this experiment and like eating disgusting food and dribbling and being sick and things. He's just like, oh, oh no, if I'm going to enjoy this film. <laughs> and then and then he goes out and uh, goes to the home of this girl who's also in the experiment who fancies him and just becomes. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what the phrase is. There's um. It's a Wes Bentley film where where in the film he's described as something like vibrating with sexual energy. And that kind of of is what happens here in that like everyone who meets Carl Garner in this film is like, yeah, I want to fuck you. Um, Like the mum is hitting on him. Like, yeah. Uh, But then like after that slightly strange interlude where he ends up like setting fire to the house, it just sort of becomes quite a sweet love story. Yeah, it's so sweet. He's really, uh, yeah. He's a great like awkward furious dirtbag romantic lead yeah um all the performances are so good in it like pat healy and marilyn radzkiewicz as, like, as the lead's parents who just sort mm. of like suburban weirdos yeah it's, <laughs> it's just such a lovely lovely vibe the whole film and that song is great and it is on spotify oh, nice. um yeah they write the uh so he he meets this girl who's been his number one fan uh, like but he plays anonymously in the band like where's an balaclava so she doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know who she is but she's been sending him dirty pictures in the post uh, that he's been enjoying <laughs> and then they they sort of overcome some bullies and some horribleness together and fall in love and break into his family house and write a song together 
<laughs> and then that goes horribly wrong. Like there's just a lot, as the as the title sort of suggests, there's just a lot of awkward dinner scenes mm. in this film. Yeah, so many. <laughs> Which is great. I love an yeah. awkward dinner scene. Um, and I love punk rock Carl Garner. And I just, I love that song. It's so, so good. <laughs> just the righteous fury of everything as well. It's great. Um, yeah, I think that's a genuinely awesome film that you should see if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and then there's Ghosts of War, <laughs> which I've talked about before, and which I rewatched with my husband and he was not keen, but I still like it even though it's very silly. I have not seen it. Is it on Netflix or anything? Is it? It is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I might give it, give it a little look. It's, yeah, but you get you get proper psychotic... Well, spoilers, you get full-on psychotic, nasty, like, scary, scary Carl Golner, like, properly, like, this guy is going to eat my eyeballs. Um, but then, like, maybe they let him have a little moment of being lovely because he's Carl Golner. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Scream or Scream 5 5 Cream um, (laughs) in which he posted so much about this film on social media and then I went to see it on my birthday and he's in it for like five minutes (laughs) (laughs) if that it's very disappointing uh, for Carl Garner films this film he originally had auditioned to play the role of the Leeds boyfriend without... Ah, uh, the Jack Quaid character. Didn't know that. Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. So originally he was in the frame to play that role, which would have been obviously a much bigger role. Yes. <laughs> that would have been lovely. Uh, but then they they didn't deci- decided not to go that way. But because the directors just like had become friends with him and because he's Carl Garner and he's awesome, they were like, well, we'll put you in somewhere. Um, <laughs> so he, he becomes... Um, the like almost Stephen King villain style <laughs> horrible flick knife guy with a muscle car who one of the Leeds friends um had like had an affair with the previous summer or something. Mm. So he's just lurking around being sleazy yeah. and then he gets killed really fast by the killer. Um which is disappointing. <laughs> but in the extra Deleted scenes. Uh, why do they make us work for it so much? I have to watch the extended cut. <laughs> deleted scenes. Then um, the deleted scenes, the scene in the bar where he clashes with the main characters is a little bit longer and it has, uh, he gets into an altercation with Dewey and like has a little fight with him. And then I think there's a bit more with Dewey talking about it in the police. Like, like that plot strand kind of works a bit better with the deleted scenes as it is he just sort of shows up is a bit sleazy and then immediately gets killed and you're like well you could have cut that from the film <laughs> we would have lost nothing and he's like you, you find out that he was Stu's nephew like after he's died <laughs> like it's a bit disappointing but he is genuinely a badden in this film and mm. he doesn't get any redeeming moments really he's just he's just horrible yeah I do really enjoy Scream 5 like yeah I thought that was a good movie. Yeah, I watched it again and I was like, yeah, I do like this film quite a lot. I think the first time I watched it, I had so much, like, I was putting so much weight on it. Like, this has to be good. Like, I love Scream 4 so much. Like, don't fuck it up. Like, you know, this is the first one since Wes Craven died. And like, yeah, it has to be good. It has to be good. And like, I don't know, I kind of couldn't get out of my own head about it. And then 
when I watched it again, I was like, yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I didn't see it until DVD actually came out. I wasn't going to the cinema at the time it came out. I was still, still avoiding that. Um, but yeah, it's so much fun. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I yeah. I really love, uh, I really wish Carl Garner could have been that character because the Jack Quick, I can't remember what his character name is, but um, like he, he kind of says like, oh, I've never seen any of the Stab movies. And then like, <laughs> Uh, because he has to come back uh, to Woodsboro, he ends up watching them all like on a tablet yeah. and like getting more and more into it. Like I really enjoyed that part, and yeah, um, <laughs> I think that's really funny. Uh, yeah, and then that brings us to his most recent. I think currently in cinemas, perhaps maybe if maybe. might be hanging on a bit. It's done really well. Yeah, it's done really well. It's a smile. I like Smile, and the more I think about it, the more I like it, and I want to watch it again. <laughs> I still haven't seen it, annoyingly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you should you should see it. Okay. It's, it's fun. Um, you can, I mean, you can probably wait for digital DVD something, but um, yes, Carl Garner plays the ex-boyfriend of the lead character who is still very much pining after her, and when she finds herself in trouble, he kind of like steps up to help her, and he's just lovely in this film. The a slight issue with it he's playing a cop and I feel like they should not make cops um, this lovely because I don't think they are but um, <laughs> but, but Carl is very lovely in this film and it's very sweet That's and yeah I mean Smile Smile is like I think it's not quite the same situation as with say The Bye Bye Man where it was a flop and everyone hated it and it was a complete disaster and I had to keep banging on about it for years because like you say it's done really well it's made shitloads of yeah, money for some reason movie. and like got like some good reviews <laughs> and it's a very silly horror film like it's it's like the final reel is so silly and I love it so much and I'm really surprised <laughs> that it's done as well as it has um yeah. So now I think, you know, we need we need more more big roles for Cardona. Mm. Put him in the lead. Yeah. He's he tweeted something the other day about like I'm ready to be the lead guy in a fine be some kind of badass or something. Like, yes, he's ready. Give him more <laughs> roles. And and he, like IMDB does suggest there's about three or four more films coming, several of which are listed as either Oh, they're sort of like, oh, thriller. And I'm reading the synopsis going, this could be a horror movie. It might be a horror movie. <laughs> Sounds like it could be a horror movie. <laughs> so, uh, so that's positive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, ready for more. Ready for more. I think he has demonstrated a range. And obviously, Kyle Garner has made films um, and TV shows that aren't horror. But, like, you can't expect me to watch that. <laughs> Even for you, Kyle, I don't know. (laughs) Um, In conclusion, (laughs) uh, Carl Garner is a king of horror. And if you see that he's in a horror movie, as long as it's not Red State, that's probably a really good sign. Yeah, yeah, worth a look. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he... And also, like, I really like that he doesn't do that thing of... Like being like, oh no, I shouldn't make her. Don't call me a hurricane. Like he, he's he's happy with it. He's happy about it. And even like someone tweeted him the other day saying that they still defend a nightmare on Elm Street. And he was like, good, thank you. Um, and he wasn't like, oh no, it's shit. Like don't remind me that I was in that or anything. He just was like, he was just like very gracious. Oh, that's what and you like. And he probably does think it's a bad film but he was just lovely. He's just a lovely human being. And if you follow him on Instagram, um. 
he often just films himself going for walks in the country and like looking at wildlife and things. <laughs> it's extremely charming. <laughs> I appreciate that because sometimes when you uh, decide to fixate on an actor or, or creator of some sort, then you follow them on social media and it's very disappointing because mm. they're not very interesting. Um, but I think that Carl is just pretty good value. He's a good Twitter follower. I, don't, I haven't gone as far as Instagram, but yeah, I do enjoy his <laughs> Twitter feed. Yeah, and he's not, he's not, he hasn't so far touch wood oh god between me saying this and editing this episode he probably will say something terrible but like i think he's only ever had uh good political opinions that i've seen so i'm like i could continue to support you and love you (laughs) i think my like in conclusion for the carl galnerness was just that when he was cast in scream it was like right at the end of all the casting announcements and i think everyone was just sort of like yeah, good. That makes sense. I'm glad that this like this this feels As like you should. Yeah, exactly. Like good. Carl's in there somewhere. <laughs> Just like he should be. Yeah. yeah. As he should be. He should like what else? Like just put him in a let's put him in a saw movie. <laughs> let's put him in a final destination movie. Ah, there you go. Yeah, he can be haunted and um He could be the lead in a final destination movie so like good. so well. Yeah. It would be great. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, that should happen. Um, in conclusion uh, dear Carl Garner please make more horror films please continue to be good value on social media Uh, if you would like to come on our podcast and talk about your films or any films (laughs) (laughs) any horror films of the 2000s (laughs) of your choice (laughs) um, that would be lovely (laughs) we appreciate you and uh, we're not actually psychotic I promise we just find it funny to me (laughs) overly enthusiastic about this but like there's genuine enthusiasm and then there's like slightly performative enthusiasm this is genuine very very enthusiastic yeah there's real love there's real love here (laughs) i think so (laughs) okay uh and the other people that you should follow on social media are us um <laughs> you can find us at chillennial hpod on twitter or i am at sarah dobbs and jonathan is at jonathan hatful i believe that's right yeah which is very easy very easy to to find yeah. really <laughs> so, <laughs> Just <easy>. our names. <laughs> so easy and we are delightful so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah in conclusion uh Have a good day. See you next time. (laughs) Bye.